Welcome to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Hopeful Economics is a way of looking at the world of assets, the abundance it has, and making that work for everyone. What does it mean to you? And what impact can that have in the world today and its future? These are questions we are discussing with our speakers today. If you haven't already done so, please register for the Hopeful Economics Unconference on March 3rd and 4th, 2022. You can do so at hopefuleconomics.com. All right, we are here with Miriam, who is going to let us in on this fantastic conversation that uh, we can't wait to experience when we come to the conference or I'm so sorry, the unconference on uh, March 3rd and 4th. But she was a part of a group of humans who helped us understand this on a more deeper level. Um, Miriam, please uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your participation in the Hopeful Economics Unconference. Thank you for being here to help us go to the next level. You're most welcome, Terrell. Thank you for having me. You're very um, um, involved. <laughs> you know, as we were reading your bio, we really understood that, you know, you have a, a, a different, a very involved relationship with this entire topic. Let's just think about for a minute for you, what are some really important ingredients? Like let's say hopeful economics was an ingredient, like this was a meal that we were preparing for the people. What are the main important ingredients that you think really need to be a part of this, uh, this social impact salad? I feel like we really like most of the times we're talking about knowing, knowing how to do something. Uh, so we talk about teaching entrepreneurship, when we're really cool about it, we also talk about experience, experiencing it, so experiential learning, which is where we talk about the doing part. But so often uh, we miss what is a huge part of our traditional wisdom frameworks, particularly our theological frameworks, which is being, right? Embodiment. So I feel like embodiment is one of those really big pieces that we often miss out on when we talk about social impact, social innovation, social entrepreneurship, are we embodying the values that underpin these systems, these ecosystems? And what are those values? Where are they? Where is their home? Where, where is their foundation? And so the minute we really step back and deeply reflect about it, it becomes pretty clear that if we want to do this in a decolonial, in a, in a truly impactful way, that these roots then, they're essentially found in wisdom approaches and frameworks. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm so drawn to what you're saying because I, I think so much of this type of work is very focused on the action. And absolutely, that's very natural because there's been so much inaction that is being combated. But the idea that it's not just about the doing, it's not just about the what you're not doing, but the being and just being present. So what does that look like for you? What has that looked like in your personal journey to, uh, to demonstrate impact, not just talk about impact? It's been... Uh... It's been a really interesting piece, right? Because a big part of my journey started with training entrepreneurs and training entrepreneurs, particularly in the global south, where, um, you know, there, there are big, complex 
grand challenges that communities are dealing with. And, you know, what one of the things we were trying to do was replicate um, models from the U.S., models from the Global North, models from Europe and the U.K., and we very quickly realized that a lot of these models, yes, they're talking about business, they're talking about financials, they're talking about, they're even talking about social impact, right? And and how to do good. But very often they're missing on the why of it. And that why really, that's where the embodiment piece connected for us. So we, we started teaching uh, things like systems thinking through <laughs> vegetable farming, Things like uh, human-centered design through comparative theology and through, you know, multiple uh, theological frameworks and books. So, you know, bringing in verses from the Bible, bringing verses from the Torah, from the Quran, from the Dhammapada, from the, the Ramayan. And all these texts, interestingly, have been in dialogue in the global south, particularly in South Asia where I'm from. They've been in dialogue for centuries. And bringing that dialogue into social innovation and social entrepreneurship training and teaching, it just unleashed this whole new way of doing this work. And so the entrepreneurs that were part of this program, you know, they were far more embedded in the communities that they were working with and co-creating with. Um, they had this higher purpose, right? It was almost as if this work... It wasn't a job for them. It was a vocation. It was a calling. And they knew that even if this particular way of doing it didn't work, they would just start somewhere else and do it all over again. And so that kind of resilience, that kind of this, you know, this this struggle, this beautiful struggle, uh, gosh, it was something else. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting that you are almost um, glorifying, not glorifying, that's not the right word, but there's a, um, a happiness related to the struggle because I think that we, as a people, we try to shy away from struggle. You know, we don't really want the hard work. We don't want to do the hard, the, the, the challenging pieces. But is it possible to engage this depth of social work uh, without struggle. I don't think you're doing it right if there's no struggle. <laughs> and, 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 that's, and I certainly don't mean to glorify this, but these are complex problems, right? Right. They, these are deeply embedded systemic problems. There are layers upon layers upon layers from gender to racism to classism to all kinds of them. So there's all these isms, there's all these layers. And as you start peeling them and you pull at one thread and something else unravels somewhere else, and there's all these unintended consequences, right? Because everybody has these amazing intentions. But unless we look at and really take into account this complexity, you know, things, things mess up and, and things go wrong. Right. And that's yeah. where the struggle comes in, right? Because the minute you figure out, you figured, you know, one piece of the equation, something else that you hadn't even thought about suddenly pops up and you're like, wow, okay, I see, I see how that works. And yeah. yes, I missed it before, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to persist because, you know, this is, this is bigger than me. 
the one of the one of the really really interesting pieces that um some of the best entrepreneurs that i've worked with that they that they recognize is that they're one piece of the equation of the whole of the system so they know it's not just their job and their job alone that it's when we all come together with these aligned intentions that the universe that god that grace essentially enters the room and magic happens yeah and yeah. so you work with the faith that i'm going to do my bit and the rest will figure itself out mhm yeah that that to me reminds me of the, kind of the difference between an entrepreneur and a, a solopreneur you know and and they're both have their part but this analogy of of the room that the work that the magic won't begin until i enter the room and guess what when i go in i'm not there by myself it's not a it's not a cell it's a um it's something that i can be a part of community and one of the the parts i would imagine has a great bit of tension in your work specifically is the way in which is interfaith so you talked about all of the various um religious writings and the ways which those are together and the way you're doing it is through dialogue which is interesting because most times we think about the ways in which they're in disagreement not in dialogue with each other so what has been some learnings for you uh as you have helped people navigate the dialogue of these um these um aspects not just focused on the disagreements It's been fascinating like it's been a very deep personal learning journey for me. It's also been uh something that's inspired entrepreneurs that I've worked with. So a couple of entrepreneurs have actually done the work of using interfaith text to, you know, work around conflict resolution, to work around education, to work around peace building in post-conflict communities. And and one of the things one of the sort of philosophical frameworks we often talk about is perennial philosophy there's lots of others but but all these sort of different frameworks talk about um how there there are some fundamental sort of overlaps across wisdom traditions but also as you start comparing them with more indigenous frameworks right so even indigenous indigenous faiths and indigenous faith practices not just here in north america but also in sub-saharan africa in new zealand in chile like the most unexpected of places and suddenly you start seeing these unifying strands and so it's almost like there is these themes that cross cut geographies time space dimensions you name it and once you pick on that thread what you find is that all these sort of fundamental truths manifest in different ways across these dimensions time space geographies it's 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 really interesting because liberation theologies almost work like this right where they're right. really celebrating diversity on the ground liberation theologies from the global south particularly um do this tremendous job of of identifying and respecting and celebrating the mosaic almost of different ways in which christianity is practiced around the world and as you try and take a similar lens to interfaith work it becomes a lot easier to to start seeing the beauty of it all yeah 
Yeah. I think that one of the uh, one of the the major tensions here is the way in which certain aspects of society or stimuli have has caused us to focus on these isms that you spoke of earlier. For instance, I'm concerned that decolonizing is just a buzzword for right now. It may be um, it might go away and the work may uh, be, begin to be ignored. But would you say we are just beginning the work of decolonizing? And, and, and so if so, how would one really stay engaged in this important mission? So, and you're not the first person to say that decolonization feels like a buzzword. Uh, academics like Eve Tuck and others have talked about how it feels like a metaphor. Uh, there are folks like Vanessa Andriotti and uh, her, her research group at UVC who talk about gesturing towards decolonization, that we can only sort of try and grasp it because it's so... It's so ephemeral almost because what is decolonization mm -hmm. in a context where the land is still stolen, right? What right. is decolonization right. in a context where we talk about reconciliation but not about reparation? And so, the, yes, this is this is true. We we cannot be talking about decolonization in a meaningful way unless we start talking about these things. Um, that said, decolonization is not new as a term. Um, people have been struggling for liberation for, for decades now. Um, certain parts of the world that have been geographically liberated. So, for instance, South Asia, where I'm from, yes, we, you know, the white man has left. And yet we're still so shackled in our brains Right. You know, we're still so shackled. We have that cognitive dissonance yes. from colonization where there are pieces of our histories that we're trying to grapple and, and hold on to so hard. And yet the world we live in requires us to almost follow what is, you know, the norms in Western European Anglo-North Atlantic frameworks. So that's a very different way in which colonization is still very much alive in geographies where the white man has left. But then let's look at the global north. Let's look at Canada, the U.S., where land back is still a conversation that, you know, that, 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 that needs to be had more often. Where it's not that folks are saying that you give all of the land back, like 90% of the land goes to 10% of the people. No. But what's, what's being talked about here is that our relationship to land in itself is problematic. Mm. We have made land an object instead of something that nurtures us. We talk about owning land instead of belonging to land. Mm. And so we cannot talk about decolonization unless we talk about how we have moved away from a way of life that has been in relation to land and in relation to all of life to a way of life that is exploitative, right? And so this is where hopeful economics is just such a powerful topic because it's asking us to unhinge, to separate to disaggregate from these 
colonial, hyper-capitalist, exploitative structures and ways of doing economics and asking us to look instead at relationality. What does it mean to be related to one another? What does it mean to belong to each other? In a paradigm where we belong to each other, how on earth can we keep exploiting each other? Right. In a paradigm where I am because you are, how can I ever do something that is harmful to you? And so the minute we start thinking like that, the minute we start thinking in terms of relations, in terms of interconnectedness, in terms of nestedness, right? That somehow, you know, we talk about environment, social governance, like the ESG metrics, like, no, they're not separate. Environment and society are not separate. Economics is not separate. They are nested. They are deeply in relation. You cannot talk about one without the other. And so we must, absolutely must, go back if we have to or start where we are right now and revive these paradigms of relationality and belonging. This is so great. We have to be able to think about this um, as as one. And that is one takeaway that to me is a, a pinnacle part of this conversation in that we're not starting the conversation this month or, or, or doing the event, but it's a continuation of this. So we are so grateful to be able to have you a part of this and to do the work that you are doing. We look forward to joining you in this land in which we all belong. And so we look forward also to seeing that conversation that you're having on March 3rd and 4th at the Hopeful Economics Unconference. Thank you for this uh, interview as well. You're most welcome. Thank you, Darrell. Thanks for listening to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. The Hopeful Economics Podcast is produced by Resonate Media. In the spirit of the unconference, we'd love to invite you into the conversation. Subscribe, review, and comment on social media channels. And a special thank you to those that partnered in making Hopeful Economics possible. UNGEN, Waterloo Institute for Social Innovation and Research, 101 Worshiping Communities, Alterna, Buy Social, Faith and Finance, Metcalf Foundation, United Church of Christ, Rooted Good, Toronto Neighborhood Centers, New Church Ministry, Community Innovation Hub, and so many more. And learn more about Resonate Media at ResonateMediaPro.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and be blessed.